All right, we're back. Ira joins us to some NBA right now as uh, you have the Cavaliers and the Warriors back in action. The Celtics up after the overtime win where the point guards went crazy and uh, we're heading towards uh, conference finals. And the big surprise, which we should start with Ira, is Houston, which uh, really stunned a San Antonio team, which looks like it might be looking for the exit. Yeah, you know, Mike, I I can never recall a San Antonio team that was so one-player-centric that even when they had David Robinson and then Tim Duncan, they were always five men on a string. And, And we saw that in the previous series with the Spurs that they basically are giving the ball to Kawhi Leonard and telling him to be the singular player, that that's never been that approach. What it shows you is what we knew. Manu Ginobili got old. Tony Parker got old. And one thing that's really confounding me, and I'll be honest because I was involved when they were down here, the Heat and other teams were talking to free agency, is the player formerly known as LaMarcus Aldridge. Mike, there have been games I watch the Spurs and I forget he's on that team. If the Spurs continue to play as a one-man team, as great as Kawhi is, and he's a top five NBA player, they're in a heap of trouble. This does not look anything in the last few weeks like a Greg Popovich team. No question about it. Uh, I, I agree. And, you know, it also, you know, it shows that how much the game has changed where the style that he plays now, uh, that D'Antoni plays, can work because these teams are so 3 cent in, in their approach. The Cavaliers want to shoot the three all the time. The Warriors are going to shoot the three all the time. Mm-hmm. So that that's, shows you where the game has changed. And then you get to the uh, Celtics who have come back uh, after the whole thing with the, the Bulls and obviously with what's going on with their point guard, but uh, heading towards Cleveland. And it's funny. Everyone counted the Celtics out, and they came back. And now you're hearing people starting to get so full of the Celtics. Oh, well, wait, they're going to you know, cause real problems. No. <laughs> I don't buy that for a second. Now, they, they're going to probably win this series. I'll give you that. But they're not going to cause any. As a matter of fact, we can't get to the finals fast enough. I can't remember a year, yeah. Ira, where we have two teams that lay over the conferences the way these two do. You know, that, 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 It's that, a long time since that's happened. That was going to be my thrust. It reminds me in the baseball days, of course, without the salary cap, when you just knew going into the season, these four teams, five teams are going to contend. We're at a point right now where we know it's the Cavaliers, Warriors, maybe an outside chance for the Rockets. I might be able to willingly say that there's a big three or a top three no chance right now. No chance. I don't even think we'll... I'll be surprised if we see a sixth game in either conference final. You know, I just Houston's the kind of team if they get hot because of their variety of three-point shooters that not only Harden, who's struggling a little on his threes, but with Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon and, and, and with Lou Williams, they have enough that they can have a night or two. That's what three-point shooters do. But, I mean, you watch. The, the Warriors aren't even playing. They're toying. They're they seeing toy. how little they can They didn't even play do. in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's it. Yeah. They, I mean, they're taking the fourth quarter off in these games. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. And they're both, you know, let's see the first time either one of them loses in the playoffs. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. Let me get back to last week for a second, sure. and that's Chris Paul. What a terrible Game 7. I mean, you talk about, you know, a guy who has had so many problems in the postseason, and so have the Clippers, and I understand I've never liked the Clippers, but what a, after they win Game 6, 
in Utah that go six for 19 from the floor in a game seven. Chris Paul, what a terrible, terrible game seven for Chris Paul. Well, Doc tried to downplay an ankle injury afterwards. But you know what, Mike? Even if there are injuries, that injuries more often are a product of age. So now you have a guy in his low 30s who's coming in looking for a five-year contract, is going to lock that team into oblivion if they bring him back and Blake Griffin back with the DeAndre Jordan contract. They're in a really tough spot right now, free agency-wise, because as much as people even are floating the Blake Griffin sign-and-trade to the Knicks, for example, to get Chris Paul another scorer, keep in mind, sign-and-trades have changed in the NBA. There no longer is a huge benefit for a player to avail himself of it. He can get the same money home team as he can the team he's traded to. So Blake Griffin's free agency, I see everyone putting him in places. Oh, he's going to go to Indiana so they can get Paul George. Oh, we'll go to New York so they can get Carmelo Anthony. Blake Griffin can go wherever the heck he wants, and he doesn't have to be part of a sign-and-trade agreement to get the money he wants or the location he wants. If he's even desirable, what we're seeing in these playoffs, and we see it every year, you have to have a top five, maybe top seven NBA player, whether his name is Harden, whether his name is LeBron, whether his name is Curry, whether his name is Durant, you have to have one of those players. What this entire league is going to have to do, Mike, is sit back and say, yes, these players are capable of getting the new maximum contracts. But you know what? If you're not a max player... You find out you lock your team into something, maybe Carmelo, like, like, like the Knicks management would think, that's untenable. I'll give you the perfect example. Paul Mass- Millsap is a wonderful player. He showed after he came over from Utah that he's far more complete than we would have thought. Paul Millsap can sign a five-year, $200 million contract with the Hawks this summer. Mike, is he a $200 million player? No, we know there's very few of them. As a matter of fact, the only guy who in these playoffs was playing himself into that is John Wall. John Wall's play has been unbelievable in the postseason. Really remarkable how he's played. And he's carrying that team, and yet defensively, John Wall led the league in deflections, has been sort of that kind of defensive player. Even he can't stop Isaiah Thomas, which shows you there's a level of quickness and speed on defense, and there's a lockdown defender that, without hand-checking allowed, makes it almost impossible right now anyway, but of course, John, you know what? He made the big shot. He stepped forward. He's made shots for the most part when needed, but him and Bradley Beal are absolutely left naked, exposed out there because of the depth of talent. So what I'm saying is, whether it's a Blake Griffin or a Paul Millsap, you're starting to see, Mike, how depth of talent also matters. That as much as Isaiah Thomas is playing well, Al Horford is starting to pick up his game. He's starting to matter. All of a sudden, Avery Bradley, terrific defensive guard, he's starting to make outside shots. You need depth of talent in every Wizards game we've watched. We've seen the same thing. John Wall, terrific. Bradley Beal, terrific. Starting lineup, usually even or ahead of the other team. And then they go to that decrepit bench, and there just isn't anything there. Team building is about more than the one $200 million player. It's about building the depth. And we can talk about the Warriors and talk about Steph and talk about Clay, but you can also see the depth they have, the smart moves. You can laugh about JaVale McGee, but he's been really good for the role that they need for him. That's what they've done also. You have to build out seven, eight, nine deep, because we see in these playoff series, whether it's Chris Paul Hobbs, whether it's Blake Griffin going out, depth still matters when it's four of seven to win a playoff series. Talking with Ira about the uh, NBA, Ira, were you surprised that Bird stepped out of the day-to-day uh, with the Pacers? 
the one thing I've known from Larry, and I get to see him every year when he comes down here to Summer League, is he doesn't put up very well with the BS. The BS part of the, of the deal of having to assage players and, and, and let them know that they're loved and what's going to happen, this Paul George thing took a toll on him. This is not the NBA that Larry Bird understands, I believe, or tolerates. This being held hostage for a year by a player who can come out and leak through his people, I'd rather be with the Lakers. The one thing about Larry Bird and his era was you were loyal to the uniform. If you were in the uniform and you were under contract to the uniform, you bleed Celtic screen. I don't think Larry Bird has any patience for this Paul George. Get me more, more players. I'm going to opt out in 2018. I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to resign. I think Larry Bird at 60 years old with all of his basketball acumen just simply didn't need that anymore. And again, it goes to what you're seeing in New York with your management style and all that. There's a lot of BS you've got to cut through as an executive. And Larry Bird decided he didn't want to put up with that. Phil Jackson got lured, up with, lured in with the money. He's stuck there now. That's the BS you have to put up with. I say good for Larry Bird. He didn't want to have himself the iconic figure, number 33, groveling to Paul George. So he just very nicely stepped aside, told Kevin Pritchard, you take over. It's not that it's beneath him. It's just not something he wanted to deal with. You know, after all their uh, end-of-season histrionics and their terrible play and the way people uh, started writing them off, it's been a very quiet playoffs for the for the uh, Cavaliers. They've said very little. They haven't lost the game. Uh, LeBron's played brilliantly. They've gone about their business. There hasn't been any confusion or anything going on. So, you know, the forecast of how, how bad it was going to be when they were losing to Atlanta and they were going 8-9 and nine down the stretch and they were blowing leads and, and, and the whole thing, uh, I don't know that it gets them any closer to beating the heavily favored uh, Warriors this year, but it has been a very, very uh, quiet, very confident postseason so far. Yeah, because of the competition. I mean, it's, it's like a Kentucky Derby where there's one great horse and eight other nags or 19 other nags chasing him. That's what's happened right now. And it, it, it's sort of the, the, the comparison is the, the, the Cavaliers will not have to go to the whip. They will not have to go to the whip at all in the Eastern Conference. Yes, you could tell me, oh, but the Pacers were one shot away from winning a couple of games, fine. And if they had to deal with it, they could lift it up to another level. It's that depth of talent. It's having Kevin Love making his three-pointers. It's having Kyrie Irving alongside. And all this talk about too many minutes for LeBron. Come the playoffs, there are not too many minutes for LeBron. It was about getting J.R. Smith healthy, having that roster together. I can't tell you right now that the Cavaliers are a great team. I can tell you this. If you were to put the Cavaliers in the Western Conference playoffs right now, maybe sub them in for the Utah Jazz, they would be in the fight of their life in the grouping with San Antonio and Houston and Golden State, and you would see either a better team or a team that's not good enough. But right now, I mean, they're like in the AHL playoffs while the other guys are playing for the Stanley Cup. There's nothing there in the East. I thought, Mike, the Wizards would be better, and we've seen so these I. I've been, disapp- I've been disappointed. So I, and I thought they were going to win the game last night and tie the series, but uh, they've been disappointed. Pointing, I agree with you, and uh, they and did. The Celtics, yeah. And the Celtics are a scrappy team. God, they bless are, them and, they, and they're well coached. The guy, yeah, he does a very good job, and they have a good culture. I, everything's there. They just don't have enough players to. to they, they don't belong with the other. With the, they don't have anybody to play LeBron, obviously, and they can't deal yeah. with the Warriors. But you know, but they've done a nice job with their franchise. I give them that, and uh, and Isaiah's a nice story with all the stuff that's gone on and his ability to score. So I mean, I, I understand that, uh, and maybe. 
maybe they'll somehow make that series with Cleveland a little more interesting. Uh, at least we'll get that. But otherwise, we're really going through the motions here in the NBA this year. We Except really are going through the motions heading for the final. What I would say about this, though, is the Celtics, to me, are a next-year team. Remember, they're getting Brooklyn's number one pick. It's guaranteed to be at least top three, with the Nets having the worst record. I guess top four, three teams could jump, unlikely. They're going to get a great player. Very interesting press conference today, Mike, in Chicago. John Paxson, Gar Foreman spoke about their future. At no point did they say that Jimmy Butler was 100% coming back. A matter of fact, John Paxson said during that press conference, we want to play more up-tempo with a Rajon Rondo style and almost acknowledge that Jimmy Butler is not the kind of player they like. I keep watching the Celtics right now, and I say to myself, okay, they're not going to beat the Cavs this year. But what if they trade that number one pick for Jimmy Butler? You give me Isaiah Thomas, Jimmy Butler, and Al Horford next season against the year-older Cavaliers, I think this Celtics team is one year away, one trade away. Not a draft choice, not a Lonzo Ball or a Markel Fultz, but a veteran player. And I think that's the kind of team that could challenge the Cavaliers. That trade they made with the Nets, flip-flopping picks, getting their number one pick, the moment of truth for the Celtics will not be this year's playoffs, will be next season's playoffs. All right. Sounds good. We'll chat again. Thank you very much, Ira. We'll talk to you soon. Get you next week. Thank you, All right. Ira Windeman back after this.